70 record closing highs so far for the day. Blasting through a ceiling. In a record-setting IPO. Investors who have been riding the wave. When the stock market is booming, we're made to believe the economy is booming. As the stock market goes, so goes the wealth and the health and economy. So what exactly is the stock market measuring? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good evening, good evening, good evening to another season, another episode of The Financial Focused. And welcome for accurate, timely global market outlook on demand alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist at Mentor Economics, myself, Danny Muni, and a very special guest. To listen to us online, www.radio.capitalfm.co.ke forward slash listen live or download the iCapitalFM radio app on your phone. Be the first to know what's happening on the global markets every Monday morning, bright and early, by visiting www.mentoria.co.ke to subscribe. Hello, Ken. Hey, Danny. It's How great. are you? I'm very, very well. It's Karibu great sana. to be here. Asante sana. How was the weekend? I'm quite relaxed and a uh, very uh, busy week, as as we've already seen. Manda Manu, are you ready? <laughs> I don't know if you can ever be ready for demonstrations, but yeah, it's it, it's having big impacts on markets. Brilliant. Bring us in. No, I think uh, today we are looking forward to a really exciting um, episode. You know, right now, Danny, everybody's talking about the economy and everybody's asking, talking about inflation and people asking, what will the inflation look like in December? What will the uh, interest rates look like at the end of the year? What will the dollar versus the shilling? So today we're going to look at the science of modeling and forecasting. How do you essentially have a crystal ball to be able to indicate? And is it possible to have an accurate crystal ball? And with us, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Caroline Karioki, um, who teaches at the Strathmore University, focusing a lot on economic modeling and we're going to be posing to her some very tough questions <laughs> on where does she see inflation going where does she see do- the dollar going karibu sana daktari okay. thank you thank welcome. you very welcome welcome to capital yes and i'm happy he's brought us a female economist <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thank you good evening and thank you very much ken thank you danny and it's a pleasure to be here karibu thank you sana. for the kind introduction very welcome yeah. You can reach us on WhatsApp 0701984984 or you can tweet us at Capital FM Kenya hashtag financial forecast. And Ken, when we just jump right in, things seem rosy again with the indices. The S&P 500, the Nasdaq, the DK, the Dow Jones are all up. Even the Hang Seng is up. However, the FTSE 100. So before we even discuss the rest, what's happening with the FTSE? Well, I think the FTSE is really looking at the the European situation and interest rates have been very high and that's having a big impact on the European economies. If you look at uh, UK and Germany, um, already they are very much uh, struggling. So I think a lot of the stocks, uh, despite the second quarter earnings, I think a lot of people are feeling the effect of high inflation and high interest rates. According to the report, Global Report Outlook released by Mentoria on Monday, the Fed seemed to have an intention to raise rates again, but their equities seem to be responding quite well to those kind, uh, that kind of a forecast. What would be the initiator? Well, I think the data coming out tomorrow, inflation data, will be coming out in the U.S. tomorrow, and I believe that will have an impact on the interest rate outlook. 
I think a lot of the res- Federal Reserve officials have said they are working with the data. Uh, but if you look at recent trends, we've seen those numbers coming down. So I think there's an expectation that they'll continue coming down. Uh, and that might be good news in terms of um, uh, the pause actually being extended. And I think that's why the global stock markets have taken it quite positively in the U.S. You see the Dow Jones is up 0.39%, S&P up, Nasdaq up. So I think there is that feeling that the Fed might say, you know, monetary policy is working. We don't need to tighten things further. And I think many of the the big indices are actually taking that positively. But, you know, when talk about inflation tomorrow, I'd like actually like to hear... Uh, Dr. Caroline's inflation prediction uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Is that for, so thank you. First of all, thank you, Ken, and thank you, Danny, once again. Um, so would that be the inflation prediction for the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Or Okay. Well, I suppose we've been seeing, um, you know, a, in the reports, there was an indication that, well, the Fed was seeing things slowing down. Um, and therefore taking a pause in their monetary policy actions, um, you know, not increasing, um, let's say, the federal funds um, rate. Well, we might, if things, you know, continue in the same trend, they might, you know, decide to take a pause. Um, but if perhaps the that, because we, we were seeing that there was still persistence in that, so to speak, they say the headline inflation, so where you take into account all the goods and services in the economy. So if they see that perhaps they still been that persistence, then they might decide to go ahead and increase interest rates. But of course, if the um, unemployment numbers continue to stay low um, or maybe not as high as before, then they might they might leave the rates unchanged. Yeah. Does the yield curve in any way come into play when they're deciding if to raise the rates or to pause the rates? Um, not quite. I think the yield curve really is for investors who want to understand mm-hmm. what other investors are seeing. Um, I think for the Fed, they've been very clear that um, inflation is their core thing. Uh, but another consideration really is the banking stability. If they raise interest rates, that might have impact mm-hmm. on bank stability. But to your question on the yield curve, you know, what I said last week was we have an inverted yield curve in the U.S. So that means that a lot of people are seeing a recession mm-hmm. um, in the making. And the jobs numbers that came out last Friday, lower than expected. Mm-hmm. So it's already showing that the labor market is softening. And possibly that might make, mm-hmm. make, make the Fed maybe delay any further rate hikes. How does it look within the continent? The the, the 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 equities within the continent, if you could say the the big five of the economies within within the continent. I think the most vibrant has been Nigeria. I Still, think if you look at really what the president is doing there, um, he's really been able to streamline the currency markets. He's really been able to remove subsidies. You know, Nigeria spent about ten billion dollars on oil subsidy on subsidies. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's far bigger than what we are, we were spending here. And if that money can be put to good use. So I think the stock market is taking it very positively. South Africa still, uh, I mean, despite it being able to navigate the whole load shedding thing, um, it's still contractive. Look at the PMI numbers that came up. They are better, but still, when the index is below 50, it means the economy is contracting. So I think uh, South Africa would still be in the red um, I think Kenya is still looking at, you know, the banks have increased interest rates. Mm-hmm. What will that mean for companies? Already a couple of banks have already increased interest rates. So for the banking sector, that would be good for them. It's more more revenue. So the banking stocks might do well. But the rest of the economy might actually 
uh, feel the effect and already, already you're feeling it mm. um, across the economy. So I think I'd, I'd expect Kenya still to be in the bearish um, zone. Let's look at the commodities. The metals, gold is up, silver is up, copper down, steel is up and iron ore down. Pretty much similar to what was happening last week. Is there any th- reason for the pattern? I think the big story has been China, especially with um, copper um, and oil, really Chinese demand. Uh, it keeps to be, it seems to be going on and off. One week you get very good indicators that it's doing well. The other week you get poor indicators. I feel the last week you've got pretty decent indicators that Chinese growth is coming up and it's really tied to the coppers, uh, what you call the building metals, because China really is the factory um, of the world. Could Yellen's visits have anything to do with the kind of, you know, the the the, the trend we're seeing within the commodities, especially the metals? Um, I think it'll be muted. Remember, Danny, I think about three um, episodes ago, I told you about the the triple um, um, themes that define Sino-American relationships. Uh, number one, that's uh, normally on uh, technology, the issue of um, Chinese tech companies coming up. Number two is the issue of Taiwan and Taiwanese um, autonomy and the issue of now human rights um, coming up. I don't think that visit might shift any of those sort of like three. Um, so I feel still um, you might get words that might swayed, but until you've moved the dial on any of those three, um, it's highly unlikely that um, the numbers will change. We seem to have a similar scenario on the agricultural commodities with a little bit of a change within wheat, which has started going up quite significantly. Sugar is still down. Canola is down. Coffee is down. Tea is up. Rice is down. And palm oil is down. Yeah, no, I think the sugar story continues where we left it off last week. Really, the climatic conditions are affecting um, some of the commodities that are coming up. But net off, when you talk about wheat, wheat is very like uh, the other metals. Wheat, wheat in the agricultural sector really points to demand, wheat and maize. And I think right now, when you look at global stocks up, everybody thinking interest rates might not go high up. You'll find the wheat commodities tend to do very well. So I think traders have really benefited from uh, that global sentiment rising on the on the on the wheat radar. Let's talk about crude. Seems that the persistence of the OPEC and continued production cuts has really rally, rallied the price of crude. Quite significant gains. It's now over $73 a barrel. Is this a trend that is likely to continue? Yeah, I think Saudi Arabia and Russia have really been at the forefront of this. I think they've really uh, looked at global demand slowing down and have really cut down, I think, by about a million barrels a day. That's a lot of uh, fuel out of out of the market. And I think they've achieved their goal in terms of providing some price stability. I think the concern, though, is at what point does inflation now start to kick in? Because there's one thing about providing stability on oil prices. That's one topic. But now when oil prices start going up, then now the Fed starts saying, oh, wow, inflation is going up. Let's continue to tighten. So they need to play their cards very well um, because, you know, the reason they are trying to cut production is because they are seeing global demand coming down. But if that reaction triggers inflation, uh, then the Fed continues tightening, then that global demand continues again 
um, declining. So it can be a vicious cycle. Uh, so they need to be very careful. I mean, they have all these energy economists that sort of look at these numbers, but that's always a concern, triggering another wave of um, global inflation. Interesting. Karibu sana, Dr. Caroline. Yeah, thank you. Maybe before we start off, you could give us uh, a little preamble about yourself. Okay, <laughs> all right, sure. Um, so yes, as Ken mentioned, so my name is Dr. Caroline Karioki, and I'm a senior lecturer in Strathmore University. So what I do there is I, um, as part of the job as a lecturer is to teach. So then I would teach subjects in the field of economics. So economics and also econometrics as well. Ah. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> so, that's <laughs> so that's a bit about me. Wh- yes. What is economics? All right. Okay, fine. So, well, so when you step into your class, you know, I think a lot of people will th- at the top of their mind to say, well, maybe economics is about money, um, you know, and that would be maybe the main thing we're focusing on. But really at the heart of it is that in economics, we're studying why do people behave the way they do? Yeah. Why will they make a certain choice? So at the heart of it, we're studying people. Um, a famous quote that I like to quote is that uh, really economics is the study of mankind in the ordinary business of life. So really we're studying people, why they behave the way they do, the choices that they make. And um, and really I would say that's fundamentally it. Uh, but also we can go a step further and say that we want to see what are the choices that people are making about the resources that they have, you know, their limited or scarce resources to satisfy their wants, which, you know, would appear seem to be unlimited. We always want something more, you know, um, you know, I have one car, I would like another car, or I have one phone. Sure, it would be nice to have another phone, you know. So we also study that as economists. Yeah. So Ken's and I's decision to work for Capital Group Limited yes, yes. is economics. Yes, it is. It is, Mm. yeah, because we're always thinking of, so some of the things, so your everyday things where we say that you're thinking of the benefits and costs. So all those things that you're weighing. So when you're you're thinking, hmm, should I work for Capital FM? What are the benefits of working there? You know, what are some of the things that I would like, that I like about working there? What are the costs? And you make that, you weigh that, and then you say, okay, I'll take this opportunity at Capital FM. You know, so that's, yeah, that's a classic that's example. That's economics. Yeah, that's economics. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. I would never yeah. define economics yeah. like yeah. that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. And, and yes. so you've mentioned econom- econometrics. Yes. What is that? Okay. So, <laughs> fine. So thank what's you. The, or what's the difference between yeah. now economics yes. and econometrics? Yeah, sure. So as, so as we're saying in economics, so we're studying um, people, uh, we also, of course, we also look at firms, um, you know, and even the choices that firms will make. Um, and of course, we can look even at the economy as a whole. So sometimes you might wish to um, get a better understanding of, you know, the choices that people are making or the decisions that are being made by firms. And so then you might collect some of that information. So economics 
is known as a social science. Yeah. And so there's the social part where we're saying we're dealing with people or we're dealing with households and firms. And the science part now is where we're trying to say maybe we can collect some data and really see, you know, what's truly that relationship between price and let's say the quantity demanded. So intuitively, I know that perhaps if I charge a higher price, people will want less of my item. Uh, but you might also wish to confirm that or to back that intuition with some data. And so then econometrics comes in. And so we're now saying that now we're using statistics or statistical methods to analyze economic data. And then you can now use that, let's say, to make a prediction or to make a forecast. And so really the two go hand in hand. Really, if you study economics, um, you will inevitably study econometrics, yeah. And, yes. and you can therefore yeah. very satisfactorily put, uh, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. price wars yes. under econometrics. Uh, sure, under econometrics and even economics and in even general. And even economics yes, in general. at a broader perspective. Yes, yes, definitely, you can, you can. Yes. Absolutely. I think yeah. uh, uh, Dr. has put mm. it very, very clearly. Mm. And when you talk about econometrics, I think sometimes people look at it in a very complex way, mm. things that uh, Wall Street traders do. <laughs> uh, but in very yeah. ordinary life, you can actually think about circumstances in your life um, that can be modeled econometrically. You know, somebody would want to ask, you know, what is the probability that, you know, my company will do better in the next five years? Uh, profitability-wise, what are the indicators that I can use today to show me the profitability of this company in the next five years? So there's some very practical elements which I think business leaders don't explore. That those are tools that every business leader... So I think econometrics has for far too long been uh, considered somewhere in the, in, in the academic, uh, very distant area. But I think what we need to do is bring it to the ordinary level you know, when you have a child in uh, Form 1, you should be able to uh, ask, with the Form 1 performance data, can I be able to predict how he or she will perform in Form 4, in the KCSE? If I, for example, um, I'm buying houses as an investor, I want to see what will be the appreciation of this house. What are the drivers that I need to look at? Is it population? Is it uh, proximity to schools? that will be able to help me predict the house price in the next five years. So there's some very everyday examples that business people can use um, to be able to, uh, these tools to be able to uh, make a profit or even increase their standards of living. And mm. I like that especially, maybe we could begin there. Mm. If we were to look at Capital Group Limited's trajectory in the next five years, Dr. What model or and, 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 and what variables come into play when you're deciding also the model that will now give you the statistical data to say in five years, Capital Group Limited will be at this position to be making this much money? Yeah. 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 No, thanks. So that's, that's something interesting. And that's why, you know, even uh, people in academia will reach out to people in industry so that we both learn from each other but at the heart of it uh, perhaps you know maybe to mention is that really we're thinking of when we're talking about 
econometrics or when we're thinking about modeling, we're thinking of looking at what's the relationship between some variables. Yeah. So maybe here we were thinking, okay, what is driving um, profitability? So to start off with, you might have a hypothesis that, you know, maybe, um, you know, perhaps maybe the sales um, that, you know, that we're making in this company or maybe um, the number of listeners, you know, that we have are helping to drive the profitability of, let's say, Capital FM. Um, so you could start with a hypothesis and then now we can come to a level where we're thinking of an economic model where you're thinking, okay, profitability is depends on or is a function of and then you would start listing. So this is where actually we would come, let's say, to even um, people who work in Capital FM who are involved in this, you know, financial decisions or who are interested or um, manage the profitability, you know, and we ask, you know, what are some of the factors that you think would be have an impact on profitability? So, of course, um, as Ken would remind us there, of course, there are some macro factors or factors that affect the economy as a whole. So we might think of, you know, so the typical things of maybe um, what's happening to the maybe inflation or what's happening to interest rates or there might be other things that, you know, um, that might have an effect on the company that are relate to the entire economy. Um, and then we come to also the in, let's say, in capital FM and we're thinking, right, so what are some of those things? Is it some of my my fixed costs that I face? Um, maybe is it my my rentals or if, if I'm leasing a certain um, office space? Um, is it some of the wages that perhaps I have to pay um, some of my workers? So all those things, then you start thinking about what is it that would drive, um, you know, the profitability firm. And so some of the variables consider intuitive even as we c make um, models. Why? Because maybe you're in that um, in that firm, in that organization, or in that sector, you understand it well and know what drives the profitability of, let's say, radio stations. Um, some, um, we might look at past research. That's also a really good way. You might see, you know, there might be somebody, maybe, you know, in another country who also looked at profitability of radio stations, and you can get something from their study and include it in yours. So that's also another another good way and so based on how we collect the data um, then we can then decide okay which model would be appropriate um, to use yeah so I would say that that's a gist of yeah I think I, I think that's absolutely the right way of thinking about mm. it being able to separate uh, the macro indicators because mm. that affects the business environment mm. is there cash circulating in the economy are people spending um, secondly would be what you'd call um, the the internal parameters. How big is the sales team? How big is, how how extensive is the digital marketing campaign? Mm. That would be in. But I think what I find extremely interesting, and possibly Dr. Carol can shed some light on it, is on indicators that you can't measure quantitatively, mm. such as innovation. So if I said Capital FM needs, in the next five years, for them to grow by 10x, they need to have more innovation. Mm -hmm. How do you quantify? You know, with a sales team, you'll say we have 10 salespeople <laughs> or we have 10 digital mm -hmm. strategies. Mm -hmm. But how do you put 
how do you measure innovation mm. you know and 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 there are tools uh that uh econometrics allows for parameters that can't be uh, measured quantitatively maybe dr caroline can yeah. speak to those okay yeah sure so it's true so it, it's true that some of sometimes when we have data of course we have things on a scale so we might talk about profitability which we we might measure you know whether it's let's say in kenyan shillings or we might talk about variables like weight which we might measure in kilos um you know etc other variables that you know that have a scale so to speak but there are other factors that really uh more qualitative as you've said so things like maybe we might have things like maybe is a person male or female um for example maybe um even thinking of maybe somebody's uh marital status are you married single separated divorced you know etc different categories and so when we're doing modeling we usually call these variables um so to speak categorical variables um another name might be binary variables uh you might also see some people call them dummy variables and so usually um we would then code them with some numbers you know so for example if it's let's say we have two categories so you would need to decide <laughs> what might um let's say we were comparing different radio stations you might have a criteria that you use to you know decide whether capital fm is innovative and maybe uh, radio station b is not innovative but we might say that you know what for maybe for a, a radio station that's innovative we give them a 1 uh, so when we're collecting that information for capital fm's profitability we have a value for that maybe the size of the sales team we have a value for that maybe the budget for marketing we have a value for that and then now when we come to innovative we say one because capital fm is innovative then we go to the second radio station and we have a value as well for their profitability we have a value for their you know sales team etc and then we come to innovative maybe we say zero we say they're not innovative and so then we would be able to now uh run that model and now when you get what you would be comparing is that you would for example say that for radio stations that are innovative let's say they're you know they're 10% more profitable compared to radio stations that are not innovative so now you you always have the category that you're making reference to yeah so if we had maybe three categories yeah so usually we would always choose which one do I want to be the so to speak the reference category but that's the the gist of how we would do that yeah so yeah. and and we're we're speaking of modeling yeah. in a plural sense yeah sure. so that means that Th- does it mean then there are various types of economic models yeah. that are used for instance yeah. in this instance yeah. uh, capital fm yeah. and trying to see its tra- trajectory or uh, let's just say any yeah. other corporate yeah, sure. entity yeah uh, uh, is there an umbrella uh, a pinnacle of models <laughs> from the fathers <laughs> of economics and 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 this is yeah. what you reference and then yeah. as you continue yeah. developing other yeah. models within yeah. the chain yeah. or yeah. how yeah. does it work yeah sure now perhaps i should clarify that when we talk about modeling 
let's say, of course, now I have a bias in economics because I'm uh, because of my background in economics. Um, so usually, actually, economic models can be in one sense, and I suppose that's what maybe we've been hinting all along, is they can be mathematical equations, but they don't always have to be equations. They can even be diagrams. So you might go to an economics class and, you know, and we want to draw a diagram of supply and demand. Yeah, that's a model as well because it's helping us. Really what a model is, is that it's like a simplified version of reality. So we use, so as economists and even in other sectors, whether it's in, in finance, um, even in the health sector, we're using these models as a simplified version of reality just to help us to get like a big picture of how things are working yeah um and 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 build on from there so in terms of how you were saying i wouldn't say maybe there's a <laughs> there's a big um um umbrella of of models that then uh, trickle down <laughs> trickling down <laughs> yeah but i would say that um there are some guidelines depending on the data that you have. So maybe for now, because we've been talking more about maybe the modeling that is, so to speak, requiring data as many models do. Uh, but we can have models, as I've said, where we even use a diagram to illustrate how the economy works, how money flows in the economy. That So in economics, that would be like a circular flow of income model and that's enough to just explain how things work but if you have let's say data so for example we might decide that you know what we're just going to collect information for radio stations in july 2022 and we go to different radio stations and we get information about their profitability um, or maybe how much they earn let's say each month and then we collect information about their sales team um, their marketing budget uh, we decide whether they're innovative or not innovative. So we have data at a point in time. Let's say we collected this in the month of July 2022. And it turns out that it has its own um, techniques that you will use yeah, to be able to make sense of that data and be able to make a prediction or a forecast, so to speak. And then we might decide that, you know what, uh, we would like to collect, you know, information over time so we might want to go to let's say capital fm and collect information about their profitability um you know 20 from 20 years ago because it's been in operation for a while so then you know so then we will go back you know um you know let's just say for example we were to start from the year let's even say 2010 and we said okay 2010 we collect information on capital fm's profitability you know uh, how much they were spending on marketing, the size of their sales team, um, you know, whether we think at that time they were innovative. And then we go, okay, 2011, we collect the same information, 2012. And so that, we normally call that time series. So we're following, um, well, I would say it would end up being time series data but so to speak usually when we talk about time series it's like we're following a certain variable over time so for example we might collect profitability over time mm. um you know there's about information about the marketing budget over time and that has its own 
techniques as well. Right. Yeah. So there are different types of data that you could you can collect. Yeah. We're going to take a very quick break, and then when you come back, you yeah. you'll, you'll 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 define for us economic profit. Okay. And financial profit. Yeah, sure. We'll break that apart. Okay. You can, if you have any questions for us, you can reach us on zero seven zero one nine eight four nine eight four, or you can tweet us at Capital FM Kenya, hashtag Financial Focused. And we're back on Financial Focus with Ken Gishinga and Dr. Caroline Karaoke. Now, economic profit yeah. and financial profit, yeah. they're very different things, right? Yes, they are. Could you please explain them? Okay, fine. So thank you. So at least now we've had a chance to understand what economics is about. Uh, we've had a chance to understand about um you know, why we might need to use um, economic models. And so, yes, it's interesting that you've brought this um, question or this um, topic up of economic profit versus financial, or um, you might find in some other instances, we talk about accounting profit. Yeah, so those two are different. So normally when we talk about profit and even in ourselves, when we say, you know, my firm is making a profit. So we're normally saying, what's my revenue minus costs? And so we think of the costs that let's say we've incurred. So we take away the costs of maybe um, as you know, if we think again of a, of a firm, maybe the rental costs, for example, the costs of paying my workers, the costs of maybe buying machinery, etc. And then we take that away from the revenue and then we get profit. So that's our typical definition of an accounting profit. So economic profit will go a step further and will take into account these costs where you're spending money so sometimes you might find, uh, if you're reading a book, they might talk about explicit costs. So these are costs where you're spending cash. So I'm paying my workers, I'm paying my electricity bills, I'm paying, you know, um, the rent for leasing, um, you know, maybe this office space. Plus now in economics, we, th we also think of what have you given up? So these, this is the opportunity cost. So what have I foregone of what have I given up to be able to, let's say, um, start this business? So you might be wanting to start, let's say, your own um, enterprise. Maybe you want to start a business. And so you're thinking, OK, I have to think of this cost of how much it will cost me to rent the place, how much it will cost me to hire, you know, these uh, two workers and so you list those costs and as an economist we also ask you hey what else could you have been doing and maybe you might say you know what I left my job um, let's say um, as a software engineer to start my own business and we ask you how much would you have been earning you might say oh yes um, you know I would have been earning X amount of shillings per month and so we factor that in because that's um, an opportunity cost. That's something that you foregone to be able to start your own business. Um, you may have used maybe some of your savings to start this business. So we might ask you, what interest rate have you foregone? You know, because now your money is no longer left, let's say, let's say in a bank account earning some interest or somewhere else earning interest. Now you've had to 
forego that. And so, so as economists, we go a step further. We take away the costs where you're actually spending the cash. And then we go a step further and ask, what about the opportunity cost? Um, you know, what is the cost of this other item or opportunity that, you know, has been foregone? And so that's then, so the economic profit, if you do the calculations, tends to be smaller <laughs> than the accounting profit because we're now bringing in this other, yeah. And maybe Ken could add on to that. I, I, I think it's a yeah. very important uh, <laughs> yeah. concept, Dr. Caroline. I think mm. far too often people only look at the accounting profit, mm. uh, but when they look at the grand scheme of things, mm. and that's why data is important, mm. um, collect, collecting data mm. gives you perspective on things that are happening across the world. So if you are a farmer and you have been growing maize on your piece of land mm. and you've been getting this accounting profit mm. and somebody tells you, actually, the piece of land that you're tilling mm -hmm. is actually prime real estate. If you put a hotel here, mm. you'll actually make so much money. Mm. Sometimes people don't mm. factor in. Mm. It's only when they get that hindsight. Mm. And that's why data is important. Mm. Because you look at, wow, how much will I get if I put a hotel here? Mm. It's probably more than you'll ever mm. sell in terms of your maze. So mm. um, back to your issue of data, mm. and I, I like how you talked about mm. our data leading into, 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 into modeling. Mm. My biggest challenge when I talk to businesses is yeah. I see businesses that have been around for 30 years, mm. 40 years, mm. but they don't invest time in mining mm. that data. Mm. So maybe you're an ice cream factory. Mm. You've been around for half a century yeah. that's a lot of data mm. and if you can be able to aggregate that data mm. um, you can be able to come up with incredible insights mm. possibly to live and tell you maybe you need to be in another sector and not the ice cream sector you need to be <laughs> in another sector but for me I feel and that's why they say data is a new oil mm. and that's why even data science you know for undergraduates yes. is becoming like the hottest um, course as an undergraduate because it's being able to aggregate data to derive insights so that when you propose in your five-year strategic plan, maybe we need to stop going west mm. and start going east. Mm. Maybe we've been targeting Kenyan customers, mm. but our true customers are in Hong Kong, and they can be paying us 10x for that value. I think many businesses have not reached that level of business analytics, and it starts with uh, modeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If yeah. Continuing with the modeling uh, conversation, you have... Uh, a scenario where there's a school in an area that is really performing well, extremely well. You can have many examples as you want. Would that performance or the school's performance influence, let's say, for example, the price of rent in that area, in that neighborhood? Hmm. Or would it, I don't know, influence the land rates? just from its performance. So that means ideally, if it's not performing as well as we are uh, speaking of, then the rents and the, and the rates do not go up as high as the performance of that school. You know, in advanced markets, such as in the US, where you, your children can only go to the school within where you reside, uh, that tends to be a true reality. Because if you look at the United, in the United States, you have a school district so if you live in a particular neighborhood, your children have to go to a public school within uh, that particular school district. So the correlation between school performance and house property is actually very tied. And actually it's the foundation for even new technologies for forecasting house prices. 
is an incredible startup based out of Seattle um, called Zillow. And what they do is they forecast house prices. And what they do is they look at things such as school performance, healthcare, because all these things contribute to attracting people into that area. And when people come in, the population goes up, prices go up. So definitely in those markets. In Kenya, we still um, we don't have that model where you can, I mean, you can go to any school, any primary school you mm -hmm. choose. Uh, but you find in markets like in the U.S., that tends to be a very big reality. And and so doesn't that then, to to Dr. Uh, point, doesn't that act exacerbate inequality? Because if this, in Kenya's context, yeah. if this school is performing very well, and as a parent, I'll make sure that I can drive from whatever to bring this kid to Olympic primary school. For instance, let's say I'll drive from Lavington. And then, of course, denying the kid in Kibra an opportunity to be at Olympic, which means then that neighborhood, the prices could go up, but then even the people who reside within that neighborhood don't have access to these facilities that are already available for them. And this kid then might have to travel miles to different schools, maybe a boarding school, which is technically more expensive beyond the parents reach does it does it seem to kind of feed into inequality or it has to continue staying to the extent that if you belong in this area you go to school in this area so for instance if you live on status road you mm. go to status primary school yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for that um, insight, Danny. You really thought like an economist. <laughs> <laughs> Not a philosopher. <laughs> Last a Tuesday, philosopher. I was a philosopher. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, the two are linked. Actually, in uh, where economics has come from is uh, a lot of the early, um, shall we say, the people who introduced really the field of economics, the founding father of economics, uh, Adam Smith, was a philosopher. So mm. you're, right you're on the right track. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're on the right track. So um, maybe just to, to go back a bit is, so when Ken was explaining, and he really explained it well, that of course there could be that link between um, a school, a certain school performance and house prices, and there could be a strong correlation. So normally, when we're starting our journey on modeling, we're usually told that um, correlation does not necessarily imply causation. Uh, it don't, so because our school is performing strongly, does not necessarily cause, let's say, house prices to go up. But for us to be certain, might there be a causal relationship is when now we then start building now our economic models because we're going to say that you know what even after we control for or even after we think of the size of the house um, you know the the plot of land that um, let's say this house is sitting on um, even the the area etc that even after we control for these other things we still find that when a school is performing well house prices tend to go up. So then that's where now um, our modeling techniques um, and using the right modeling technique will be able to help you. So um, so even for scientists to come up with a, with a strong slogan that let's say smoking causes cancer, that's a strong statement. So they really had to do a lot of statistical analysis and trying to control for 
many other things so that you can be certain that really it's the smoking that's causing um, or, or leading to, let's say, lung cancer, for example. Yeah. And um, so in terms of what you were saying, um, let's say if we're thinking of house prices, uh, would it lead to a certain inequalities if, let's say, there are more people coming into this area and maybe pushing some of the other people out? Um, it may or may not. But if, if for example, um, perhaps let's say that income that let's say the if it's the local city council for example is receiving they could use it to try and maybe make or um, create a larger school for example that could cater for more students or maybe even build a new school um, that could help and re so to speak not lead to an inequality but i would say those are questions at the heart of every person who is um, in the area of let's say making policies um, or trying to do something uh, for the economies to always think, you know, what's what are the consequences of this action and trying to see how can we maximize the welfare? Because really that's at the heart of economics, really maximizing the welfare of, of people. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the reason yeah. I ask is because yeah. modeling, uh, as, as you said, is also done at a very personal, basic level. Mm -hmm. So if... A school is performing well mm -hmm. around my neighborhood and then the house prices are going up mm -hmm. purely because of the performance of that school. Mm -hmm. Then it affects my modeling mm -hmm. and, 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 and my personal economics, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But And here's where we bring in, because uh, we're still at a very micro, uh, micro level mm -hmm. of economics. Mm -hmm. This is where we bring in the black swan theory. Yeah. What's the black swan theory? All right. Okay, fine. All right. So thank, thanks for that. So indeed, when we talk about economics, there's the, we think at the micro level. So where we're thinking of uh, what's the relationship, let's say, um, between households and firms and how they interact with one another in the economy. And then, of course, at the macro level is other things we hear about every day, um, inflation, interest rates, unemployment, things that are affecting the economy as a whole. So, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, you've brought this topic of, um, our, you've introduced this concept of the black swan. So usually there are some events that indeed are hard to predict. So remember, a lot of the times when we're coming up with our models, we want to use this data that we've, let's say, collected, this past data to be able to make a prediction about you know set a certain variable maybe about house prices based on the school performance or maybe uh, a prediction about someone's uh, wage level based on their education for example now a black swan event is something that's um, an outlier something i would say is hard to predict <laughs> yeah so an outlier event that usually has an an extreme impact or a high impact and usually a lot of the time you can only explain that event in hindsight so after after a while after you've maybe looked at the information you're like ah okay uh, now i understand how it came about so it's only explainable after after the event yes yeah. sorry sorry ken just just to highlight on that a yeah. bit something that means then 
exemplary performance of a school could be a black swan at a micro level for an individual. Because then yeah. there is a pattern as to how mm. this school is performing yeah. that will go around to influence the rates of rent and land rates within that area. Mm-hmm. That kind of stabilizes me, right? Yeah, so I would say, you know, so are you talk about the performance of of a, of a certain school, for example. Yes, yeah? so over time. Of, over time, And you can yeah. see this yeah. performance yeah. is, is yes. gradually yeah. becoming recognized. Yes. More and more parents are trying to fix their kids yeah. in yeah. that school. And then all of a sudden, my area where I live, the landlord says, "Ah, we're bumping you up to another 1,000 and then another 500. (laughs) Could that be like a black swan uh, situation at a personal level? Micro level, let's say micro level. Well, I think it's first critical we we stay on that definition mm-hmm. of the black swan mm-hmm. as this, these are events that, you know, today we've been talking about predicting the future. Mm-hmm. But once in a while you have events that uh, you just didn't see coming, they blindside you. So these are things that are highly unpredictable and but with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. Hindsight say, bias. They could have, maybe because of uh, your individual biases, you never saw it coming. I think when I remember 2016, for me, that was a year of black swans. When I remember UK voting on Brexit, you know, mm-hmm. nobody, uh, it's only in, with hindsight, mm-hmm. people were saying, oh, migration is a problem. People want to leave uh, um, the EU. Um, if you think about Leicester City winning the Premier League <laughs> again, huge <laughs> thing, but people are like, yeah, this was bought by an Asian tycoon. He's mm. been investing and buying the best players, mm. and why not? Mm. When you think of the election of Donald Trump, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, where did that come from? Mm. But because of the biases, they were not listening to the other voices in the room. They were in echo chambers, maybe, and they're not listening. So it comes off as a major surprise. So back to your question of, you know, when you think about at the personal level, can you get shocks from a black swan when you know your neighborhood uh you know your the the the, the amenities such as the public schools are doing well and what does that mean for you in terms of rents going up absolutely it can destabilize you because it means more people are coming to your neighborhood mm-hmm. uh so people are bidding higher rents amount and definitely that will come to you somebody would argue that you know if you're a property owner mm-hmm. you're also benefiting with because you have a higher property your, your your house is worth much more mm. so even if you are to get an equity release from your bank you can actually get that so it 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 can hit at a personal level so that's why you have to look at these events from a macro level and a, a micro level mm. let's focus from the corporate perspective yeah. black swans in a corporate mm-hmm. so for instance let's say for a media house or mm-hmm. for a manufacturer mm-hmm. I don't know about a church, but yeah, what would be <laughs> what would be s- typical scenarios of black swans for those kind of industries or those kind of businesses or corporates? Yeah, well, I would say that. So I would say again, going back to what we were m- discussing with Ken. So we're thinking of: is it something that maybe has um, is an outlier event? something that has an extreme impact and perhaps at that time really it was came off as unexpected so perhaps in recent terms maybe we've been talking about things like technology there could be maybe a fast pace or a a rapid change in some technology some you know something that suddenly comes and you you know it has it's an outlier maybe it wasn't like gradually 
coming in and you're seeing the changes coming and you're adopting it in your company, in your organization, uh, but so, so something that just suddenly comes. However, the, when you look back, you might think that actually, in hindsight, I should have seen this. It should have been obvious that obviously there's been all these technological changes that have been coming. And so I should have known that surely this would have been coming. So it can only be explained maybe after the event. So um, so I would say perhaps things like technological changes, rapid technological changes could qualify as a black swan if it's something that's really um, and something out of this world and it's you know has an, a big impact maybe for your organization maybe suddenly um, some of your uh, the things that you do maybe for your services are suddenly not needed or um, you know maybe for your workers suddenly you don't need half of your labor force <laughs> maybe you only need half of them because of this rapid change yeah, S- yeah. so you're saying that a black swan doesn't necessarily have to be a catastrophic event. No, it. <laughs> it you, well, I would say I think these are now maybe the English terms, but I would say that they usually do have a very drastic event, isn't it? This is why they are considered black swans, and this is why our typical models. Because another thing about modeling is that usually there's some assumptions that are made. So remember. A model is a simplified version of reality. So there are some assumptions that we're making. Um, a good analogy um, that I've I've heard of is, let's say, for example, even when we think of a map. So you might, so we might, you know, we get invites for, let's say, a wedding invite, or you know, maybe there's a party here, or maybe there's a funeral we need to attend, and then maybe at the back they draw a map to get you there. Sure, it works. It, but it's not the exact version. It's a simplified version um, of what's on the ground of the reality. But it gets you to your destination. And so models are doing the same. And usually we have some assumptions. So some of those assumptions miss out on these extreme events. But I would say that uh, for an event to qualify as a black swan, it's an outlier and usually you know, would have... Um, well, catastrophic implies, I guess, that it's negative. But I would say that there is also that they, they, you can have a positive, a positive event. It's just that it's not an, a positive outlier. Like you can have a positive black have, swan. Yes, yes. So in China, they have these newscasters who are now doing news 24 hours. And they are augmented news presenters. Mm-hmm. From the trajectory and the people who used to do those jobs before... Mm-hmm. And when they sit back and think, you know, I actually think I saw this coming. <laughs> Could that profile as a black swan? I think every business leader, as they mm. do their five-year strategy, mm. they look at risks. And they have to ask, are there some significant risks coming from AI, from technology? So whether it's in media, um, ability of newscasters to be replicated by technology, and how effective is that? They have to test it. You know, as a as mentoria, you know, we get revenue from reports and insights. So if somebody says, "Oh, I can get the same reports from ChatGPT," I just ask ChatGPT, "How is the economy? You know, can it give us the same analysis that mentoria?" So even that's something I have to think about. So I think it's something every industry, as they do their risk analysis, has to ask. You know, mm-hmm. is there AI 
is it a, a threat or is it something that complement us? Mm. My feeling is in the professional services, there's still a personal touch. Whether it's mm. as a newscaster, you know, mm. that deep baritone that you have. Davis Ayega. <laughs> and Davis is here. You know, <laughs> it, maybe some people might say you, you can still model that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still, I think they still, even in professional mm. services, uh, they still a personal touch uh, that can be uh, hard to replicate. I think the only problem is when the services being offered by the personal touch are so expensive compared to the free option, people now start exploring those free options. But the economic models don't have to be dead on the money in terms of risk analysis for the corporate, do they? Because if the black swan is something that you cannot predict, then even within the economic model, as you try and figure out where your company will be in the next three, four, five years, it doesn't have to necessarily be dead on the money in terms of the kind of risk that is possible to show up as but, a black swan. But I think a responsible leader should be able to say technology is making gains. And a responsible leader should be able to say, is there a risk of that technological gains replacing me and the services I provide? And if that risk is significant, then I need to innovate. If it's not significant, then I just need to um, continue as it is. But I think it's a decision that every business, every sector has to be able to make that make that call. Thank you very much. I think it has been a fascinating episode of Financial Focus this Tuesday. We will see you all again next Tuesday and you can catch up on this latest episode as well as previous episodes of the Financial Focus on Capital FM SoundCloud page or anywhere else you get your podcast from. Dr. Caroline, thank you very much for coming in today and sitting in with the boys. (laughs) Ken, (laughs) Asante Sana. We'll see you all again next Tuesday. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you.